In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Last week, we had an introduction to experiential theology. So tonight, we'll jump headfirst into the first part of that, bibliology, which is the doctrine of God's Word. Bibliology, the doctrine of God's Word. This will be uh, several weeks that will be in this particular doctrine, and that will be true for most of these. But there's nothing more potent, nothing as captivating or essential as God's Word. There's nothing as true, pure, or necessary as God's Word. It is the only source of absolute truth for all things about which it speaks. And God's Word is not only fundamental to the Christian faith, but is central and essential for the Christian and the Christian faith. Without God's Word, we would have no guide for the Christian life. We would have no source of absolute truth. We would have no sure knowledge of God's nature and His character. We would be left to pure speculation as to the condition of man. We would be left to trust in our own fickle feelings and our own vain imaginings. Without God's Word, we would have no actual knowledge of Christ. We would have no way to know the truth of who Christ truly is and what He's truly done. We'd have no sure way to redemption, no understanding of the gospel, which is the power unto salvation. Even faith, we are told in Romans 10.6, comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so there is nothing more necessary for the Christian than God's word. And there's nothing more revealing about Christians than what they believe about God's Word. The Christian who is weak, struggling, suffering, hopeless, helpless, and anemic in their faith will always be the Christian that has a low view of God's Word. Contrarily, the Christian who is full of life and vigor, walking circumspectly, fully assured by the truth of Scripture and constantly pointing others to the same, will be the Christian who holds the highest view of God's Word. The healthy Christian will have a sound theology of the doctrine of the Bible and will live his life in light of that knowledge. And that's my hope for all of you here tonight, that you come to an understanding over the next few weeks of the doctrine of God's Word in such a way that it changes how you read and how you respond to this Bible, when you open it, when you think about it, and when you ponder its contents. And so to start this evening, we really need to answer the question first, what do we mean by God's Word? Well, I started this evening reading John 1, 1 and 2, because often and rightly so, so many think of the Bible when we speak of God's Word. But that isn't all that is God's Word. The Bible, it, is only part of God's Word because we also see that God's Word, according to John, is He. If you want to quickly turn to John 1.1, I want to read a little bit further than what I did earlier. 
I'll start in verse 1. It reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, if you'll take your eyes down to verse 14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here we are to understand that the Word refers to Jesus. Then in the book of Revelation, you don't have to turn there, in the 19th chapter, in the 19th chapter, verse 3, Jesus is again called the Word of God. So sometimes when we speak about the Word of God, we're actually talking about Jesus himself. And this really is vital to us because it, what it means is that Jesus is the primary person of the Trinity who conveys to us the will of God. Jesus is the living word of God. Now, there are other ways that we are to understand the word of God. In other places in Scripture, we see the word of God is when God the Father speaks. So when we read in Genesis 1-1 where God spoke light into existence, He created by His words, the world. So sometimes the word of God is just very simply a way of understanding the Father speaking. In the past, we see other forms of God's word, such as when God directly spoke to people. We can think of Adam and Eve. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He walked with them and he talked with them. Moses, he talked to Moses and so on. There are several other examples. And then there's God's word that comes through his servants. These are still the very words of God communicated by and through human lips. So, for example, God told Moses in Exodus 4 that he would give Moses the words to speak to Pharaoh. So when Moses spoke to Pharaoh, it was God speaking through Moses. It was the very word of God that Moses was speaking with the same authority and the same power. When the apostles spoke in the name of the Lord, they did so inspired by God, and therefore they too were speaking the very word of God. You know, it's very interesting. Sometimes you'll find people in the church today who like to say silly things like, oh, well, that was just the apostle Paul. I follow Jesus's teachings. Well, it really is a silly thing to say because the apostle Paul Everything that he wrote, he wrote inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what he wrote, he wrote as the word of God. And so it's just as authoritative as everything that Jesus himself spoke. And that's true for every book in the Bible. And that brings us to, lastly, we have God's word in written form, which is the Bible. The Bible is the record of all the forms of God's word put together for us on paper. And that makes this book unlike any other book. In fact, that means that the Bible isn't merely a book. It is the book. 
And more than the book, it is God's very own word. It's interesting, the Old Testament alone attests to the fact that this is the word of God over 2,500 times. In the New Testament, we find the phrase, the word of God, over 40 times. Peter preached the word of God. The record in Acts 11.1 says this, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Well, what were they speaking about? The teaching of the apostles. The Apostle Paul defends his own teaching as being the very word of God. In 2 Corinthians 2.17, it says, Paul says, For we are not like many peddling the word of God or corrupting the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And so Paul, when Paul speaks, he's speaking the very words of God. And so if you diminish the writings of the Apostle Paul, which, by the way, is most of the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament was written by Paul. You are, in fact, diminishing the very word of God. In First Thessalonians 2.13, Paul again refers to his teaching as the word of God. He says, and for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing that when you received the word of God, listen, which you have heard from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also is at work in you who believe. And so Paul understood that what he was teaching was the very word of God. And then, of course, everyone's familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? Which, by the way, God first wrote with his own hand. Exodus 31, 18 And then as Moses neared the end of his life, we see that he wrote God's word. Deuteronomy 31, 9 says, so Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priest. Well, what law? The law that God had given him to write. Then the sons of Levi who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. In Isaiah 38, God tells Isaiah, now go write it on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll that they that it may serve in the time to come as a witness forever. We see similar accounts with Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32 and with Joshua in Joshua 24, uh, 24, 26. And it is true that every book in the Bible is the very word of God written down for us. All that Jesus preached, of course, was the word of God because Jesus is God. And all that the apostles taught in his name was the word of God. And so I hope that you can see already why this is so vital for us to understand and why we start here as we journey through experiential theology. as we, Because when we think rightly, about the Bible as the very word of God, it really should change how we approach the Bible. For many believers, the Bible is many things. For some, it's a good book. 
For some, it's a book that contains some of God's word. Uh, for others, they would claim that it's a book about Jesus or about God's word. Or perhaps some believers would even refer to the Bible as God's word out of habit, but then they've never really thought through the implications of that. I would contend with you that if we genuinely believe the Bible is the word of God, that many of us would approach, approach the Bible much less casually than we do. Let me give you an illustration. This is how people in Scripture responded to God's Word. If you go back to the book of Exodus in chapter 19, what we have here is Moses bringing the people out of the camp to meet God. In verse 17, he tells us that they stood at the foot of the mountain. Verse 18 reads this way. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Now, God is speaking. And what's the people's response to the word of God here? Well, if you are there, you can look at verse 18 of the next chapter, chapter 20. I'll read it to you. It says this, All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us or we will die. Now, that is a reverence, a right fear of God. In the book of Acts, we see the Apostle Paul responding to the word of God. In chapter 9, we read this. Now Saul, now this is before he was called Paul. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way which was Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse 3, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing and leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but Saul was on the ground and he responded when he heard this mighty voice who are you, Lord? And the men with him were clearly terrified. And so my point really is that everywhere you see God speaking in Scripture, there is always this sense of awe and fear in those who hear the word of God because God's word is not like man's word 
I would also contend with you that one of the greatest problems in the church today is that we no longer have a fear of God and we no longer rightly view his word. Everyone has an opinion of how they like things to be, how they want things to be. But at the end of the day, God's word is the authority and we simply have to submit to what God says. But there was always a sense of awe and fear in those who heard the word of God. God's word is holy and it's righteous and it's powerful. And so when you open up your Bible and you're reading that same word of God in written form, we ought to respond in the same way because it's still God's word, which is holy and righteous and powerful. When you open the Bible and you're reading the Bible, you are reading the word of God from the same God who created the world and everything in it. You're reading the word of God from the same God who spoke at Mount Sinai. When you open your Bible and you read what's in it, you're reading the word of God from the same God who spoke to Paul on the Damascus road. And this should change everything about how we handle the Bible. Understanding that this is God's word should change everything about how we handle the Bible. When you read the Bible, you are reading God's word. When you interpret scripture, you do so carefully because you're interpreting God's own word. If you twist what is in this book, you are twisting God's word. So this is really theology that should impact your life. The theology and doctrine of the Bible should change your life because when you open your Bible and you understand that it is the very word of God, then you understand verses like Hebrews 4.12. Let me read it to you. It says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and attention and intentions of the heart. That's what this book does. And when you come to understand the Bible as God's word, that it is living and active. It affects you. And so this is a doctrine that we do, in fact, experience. The study of bibliology, the study of God's word is not just some dry study. It's coming to understand what this book truly is. You want to hear God speak to you? Then open your Bible and read it. Sometimes we joke about that because there are all kind of Christians out there running around just looking for a word from God. And the great irony is they have it right here in black and white. And so many Christians treat it as though it's just another book. And so if you come to understand this doctrine rightly, it should change your life. When you read it, you give yourself to it and it renews your mind and it changes you. It leads you to continually be filled with the Spirit like Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 5. 
I mean, this is an incredible book, the Bible. God's very word, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what it is. And it has power because it is God's word. And this is why we study theology. I mean, what an incredible truth that so many Christians miss. And I hear it all the time. People who just treat what's in here so casually. Well, the Bible says this. Well, the Bible says that. And then they misquote the verse. You've just misquoted the living God. So if you're going to say the Bible says, you should make sure you know what it says. You know why people are looking for signs and wonders or special revelation from God? And we have those places around here locally. They're never satisfied. They're always lingering in doubt. They're always in need of some experience or something more. It's because they have poor theology. It's because at the end, at the end of the day, they don't really believe the Bible is God's word. Because if they believe that this was God's word, this would be enough. When you open the Bible and you read it, you hear God speak. It's as though you were standing in the foot of Mount Sinai and the living God of the universe is speaking to you. It's that real. What an incredible gift. The Bible. The Word of God. Now, understanding that the Bible is the Word of God, I want to take a look at just some of the consequences of that truth. What what does that mean for us as we think about how that affects our life, how it changes us, how it helps us view God's Word? Well, what it means is because the Bible is God's Word, it is a sacred book. Let me say this very clearly There are no other sacred books. The Mormon book, the Jehovah's Witness book, the Seventh-day Adventist material, the Catholic book. None of them are sacred. They're sacrilegious. There's only one sacred book, and that's the book that contains the words of the living God, the Bible. And I don't mean the binder and the paper, obviously, but it's contents. When speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul says this, he says, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now here, Paul's referring to the Old Testament which Timothy grew up with. Sacred writings. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Was that how you view the Bible? Do you view this as being a pure book because it's God's word? And refined seven times is just really given the picture of its absolute purity. It's a hundred percent righteous and holy in every way, lacking in nothing. In the book of Revelation, not Revelations, by the way, it's just Revelations, one Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, 18, 19, we read, 
John's writing this. He says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. I mean, that should be terrifying. That should make us extremely cautious when we say things like, but the Bible says, but the Bible teaches. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. That's a frightening warning. And let me just say by implication, because you can't lose your salvation, the one who does this does it as an unsaved person. We don't add to and we don't take away. Why is it such a harsh warning? Such a severe warning because this is God's word. And how dare man change, manipulate, alter, remove, or add to God's word? Now, God is speaking, uh, sorry, John is speaking specifically of the book of Revelation. We need to understand that. But by extension, we understand that to be true for all of God's word, the whole Bible. This is a sobering warning, and it is so severe because it is sacred, because God's word is holy and unlike anything else. I mean, that's an incredible truth. I mean, that should make us excited about opening this book and studying it because it's not just another man's opinion. These are the words of a holy God. Given to to whom? To his people. I mean, this truly is a book of love. God loves us, and so he doesn't leave us to wonder what he wants of us, what he expects of us. He doesn't leave us to have to figure out who he is. He gives it to us all in this book. The second consequence of being God's word is that the Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is trustworthy because God is a trustworthy God. Listen to what Peter says about Scripture in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now I just want to go back up to verse 19 as a brief aside. For all of those who, listen, the apostles saw all of this miraculous stuff. 
And he gets to 19 and he says, but we have the prophetic word made more sure. This book is more sure than any of the experiences that they had. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's what this book is. In John 17, we find Jesus and what we refer to as his high priestly prayer, praying this for his disciples. Listen to this. John 17, verse 8. This is Jesus praying to the Father. He says, For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believe that you sent me. In verse 14, still praying to the Father, Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And because this is God's word and his word is true, the Bible is trustworthy. And anyone who would say otherwise is not trustworthy. Is this is God's word. The last result that I want to give you this evening of this being truly God's word is that because it's God's word, it is powerful. Because it is God's word, it is powerful. Because this book is God's word, it is a powerful book. Again, we understand the message that's contained in it, its contents, right? Because God's word is powerful. The Bible reveals the gospel. Listen to Paul in Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Where do we find the gospel? In the Word, in the Bible. And so just as the gospel is powerful to save because it is the means by which God has chosen to redeem man, the Bible is powerful because it is the means by which God has chosen to speak to men. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul writes this. He says to Timothy, in case I'm delayed, but in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct yourself in the household of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. The knowledge of the church, the pillar and support of the truth is found within the pages of Scripture. The church is the pillar and support of the truth because the church is centered around God's word. I mean, look, why, why do we have this pulpit so big like this? It's not because it's nice furniture. I did this on purpose, not to copy some other pulpit somewhere, but so that you have a visual of what the main focus is in this church. And that's the Word of God and all that which it points to. That's why it's prominent. Because the Word of God is preached from here. 
It's a powerful book. We're familiar with Psalm 19, right? I preach it about once a year. I'll probably do that until I die. But as a reminder, in Proverbs 19, we see six words that are used synonymously for the word of God in verses 7 through 9. We see the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, which is really more of a metonym, and the judgments of the Lord in this one little psalm. And each of these expresses a characteristic and a result of God's word, which is the Bible. Right. And so the law of the Lord or the Bible is perfect. And what does it do? It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord of the Bible is sure it makes wise the simple, the simple minded. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true. They are all together righteous, righteous altogether. That's God's word. God's word is powerful. It has the power to restore the soul. What other book can do that? What other book contains that which is necessary for the soul to be restored, the gospel? None. No other book can make that claim. It has the power to make the simple-minded wise. And one might argue, well, what about textbooks? Textbooks give wisdom. Yeah, except Scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There's no other book that teaches the fear of the Lord. The Bible causes the heart to rejoice when believed, enlightening the eyes when believed, enduring forever. It will, and it's altogether righteous. What an incredible and powerful book. Why would anyone not want to study theology because when you do and you come to the doctrine of bibliology this is what you learn that this book isn't like any other book in 2 Timothy 3.16 we find what I think is perhaps one of the most comprehensive and succinct statements about scripture recorded Paul says this he says All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that word, all Scripture is inspired by God. It literally means God-breathed. This book is God-breathed. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And the Bible is the record of God's word. It will never pass away. God's word will remain when all things fade from existence. This book, the Bible, because it is God's word, it's sacred, it's trustworthy, and it's powerful. So, what should our response be to such a book? Well, this isn't merely a book. 
That should be our first thought, especially after the last 30 minutes. It's a living book, and it's powerful because it contains the Word of Almighty God. I'd suggest to you that our response to the truths of the doctrine of the Bible should be to heed the words of the psalmist in Psalm 1, 1 through 2. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That should be our response. If since this book is the word of God, we should long and desire to meditate in it day and night. Remember, theology is meant to be experiential. In other words, it's meant to have an impact on your life. It's not just for those in the academic ivory towers. It's not for those who are in seminary. It's not for those who preach every Sunday. Theology is for the Christian because it changes you. True theology is meant to change the way you live. But you have to learn it. And then you have to apply it. And before you apply it, you have to believe it. Which is why it's so critical that as we start our long series on biblical theology, on experiential theology, that we start with the doctrine of the Bible. Because you've got to know and you've got to believe that this is the word of God. Because let me tell you, there are going to be times where you read something that's contrary to what you think and what you believe. We're going to have that. All of us at times are going to come to something in the pages of Scripture where we say, that is not what I believe. And that is not what I think. But because we understand this is God's word, the way it affects our life then is we say, but you know what? This is God speaking. And clearly what I have thought is untrue. And so I need to change what I think based on what God says. And that's just one way. Understanding that this is God's word impacts our life. I sometimes... I, I, I'm very afraid of the Christian who says, oh yeah, I'm never challenged by anything in the Bible. I just believe it all. And in one sense, you do need to have up front the mentality that says, I believe the Bible. Whatever the Bible says, I'm going to believe that. But if you think that you're never going to be challenged, that concerns me because you're not perfect. But God's word is perfect. And so there'll be some areas and this is when we find out who really believes this is God's word and who really believes their God. When the scripture challenges what they think and they submit to the scripture, it's because they believe this is God's word. When the scripture challenges what they believe and they set the Bible aside and say, well, I just don't agree with that. That's when you know they think they're God. That was all for free. This book is the word of God. And this is the first and most important thing you'll learn 
after you learn the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. Is that this is God's word. If you don't get this. You're not going to thrive in a Christian life. In fact, I would go as far as to say anyone who comes to the conclusion that this is not God's word just very simply isn't Christian. Because there's no way that you can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and reject His word. I think you can struggle with things. We all have to grow and mature. We're all being sanctified. But there are those who just flat out reject that this is the word of God. They're unchristian. This is the word of God. And it's the most important thing you'll learn after you learn the saving grace of God in Christ. This doctrine will do more to change your life than any other, I believe. Any other doctrine we're going to, we're going to study, I think this one has the most potential to change your life. And the reason is because until you believe this is the word of God, you'll not submit to what else is written in the pages of this book. If you approach the Bible as it truly is, the very words of the living God, you'll respond differently to everything in it. You'll respond differently to everything in it because it's the living God speaking to you. And so when God says things that are controversial in our day and age, let God's word be true and every man a liar. God gets to define marriage. God gets to define the family. God gets to define right worship in the church. And so when we come to believe about the Bible, what it truly is, God's word, when we come to those things, we say, okay, you know what? I didn't really get that. But now I see what the church is really supposed to be. You know what? They're not all the same. They don't all teach the same. They don't all honor Christ, even though some have Christ on their lips. You know what? Marriage. This is actually what God says is a marriage. He defines it. And so that's what I'm going to believe. And so understanding this first doctrine, I think, is more important than anything else moving forward. Because if you don't get this one right, you're surely going to get many of the other ones wrong. You'll become your own God if you don't get this one right. The words in the Bible, if you get this right, will become more to you than just ink on a page. They'll give you life because you'll hear God speaking to you through your reading. They'll make you wise because you'll know that it's God teaching you when you read this book. Sermons will become alive to you because you know that the preacher is heralding God's word if he's preaching from the text. On Sunday morning, I'm very happy to stand up here and say to you, this is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Because we preach from the text and that is the word of God. 
we explain what God means when he says this or when he says that. If you believe the words in this book, you'll treasure. If you'll believe that this is the word of God, rather, you'll treasure the words in this book. And you'll live by the words in this book. And if you believe that this is the word of God, because it is, and you live by the words in this book, and you treasure the words of this book, and you obey the words in this book, then on that last day you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because if you're going to follow Christ, you have to follow what's in this book. You can't follow Christ apart from following the Bible. You can't love God apart from loving His Word, which is the Bible. This book is unlike any other book. It is the Word of the living God. Let's pray.